Logan. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was part of the, I was in the, I was riffing on it there for a minute. Yeah. But I, 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 I said, I said, Steve, did you eat that entire party sub? Yeah, I ate the whole Kogan. <laughs> whole Kogan. <laughs> I read I, I read it and my brain understood it and said, "Okay, moving on." Hulk Hogan. Oh, Hulk Hogan. Yeah, he's yeah. he's one of those he's one of those people that you only say the whole name. Yeah. Hulk Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan. I eat it the Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Terry Hulk Hogan Kogan. <laughs> oh. Welcome to Oops! All Monsters, the deadly, unserious show about creatures, cryptids, and curiosities curated by two weirdos from wild and wonderful West Virginia, that weirdo with me, when he's not kicking over all these nice fucking models, honk honk, is Gavin. (laughs) And this weirdo with me, who's doing the DDT, is Hess. Is that the wrestling move? (laughs) Yeah, that's the, um, that's Jake the Snake. Yeah. And um, Jake the Snake is also is definitely from that era. You know, um, my friend did a, a really amazing documentary about yeah. Jake the Snake. Yeah. Um, I, I probably brought that up on this show. Yeah, my friend that went to SCAD with me. She's uh, a really good uh, documentary producer. Cool. Anyway, we are here to, as we always are, delight and edify you with... Tales and mysterious monsters from mythology, film, literature, TV, as well as gaming from the console and the tabletop and beyond. On a rotating basis, each of us brings a monster into the shop, unknown to the other presenter, and discusses their origins and implications for the benefit of you, dear readers at home. As a quick reminder, images that we reference throughout the show and particularly in our descri- describing segment describing segment can be found on the Instagram at oops, all monsters on episodes that are mine. uh, It will be Gavin's job to bring us a, uh, a word for the diversions into the unlikely avenues of the English language that we call vocabulary. So what do you got, Gavin? What do you got for vocabulary? Well, uh, might break the rules a little, but my word isn't a word. It's kind of a phrase, and it's vade mecum. That is nothing. That what is that? That's that's a, nothing. A vade mecum is a handbook or a guide that is kept constantly at hand for consultation. Ve, is it Latin? Vade. I would mecum. think it's Latin. Oh, yeah. yeah. Vade make vade. I think it's, maybe is how you'd say it. It's seven in seventeenth century Latin. It means literally "go with me." Huh. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. The where where did that jump up in your life? Vade mecum. I have no idea. Yeah, how did you? Um, okay, I was uh, just wondering if this if this jumped out and slapped you. Or, uh, or it did you jump know. out and slap me because I'm thinking of doing like a BattleTech thing and i would call it vade ah, okay. vade mechum but i would spell it m-e-c-h-u-m yeah because of mechs. that robot was so <laughs> sexy she vade the mechum oh hulk hogan i ate the hulk hogan i ate the hulk hogan 
uh, <laughs> listeners, for our not for our non nineteen eighties WWF enthusiast listeners, um, it's just from a dumb meme that uh, one of our friends posted where somebody was selling a Hulk Hogan doll and had written it out as Hull as an entire Kogan. Which just really tickled the shit out of us. So that's uh, we'll, we'll, I'll remind I'll remind myself to the add enti- all of you to our uh, little Facebook chat later on. Yeah, the entire Kogan. <laughs> I mean, he look he doesn't look like a half Kogan. Yeah, he looks that like is a whole, whole ass damn Kogan. <laughs> all right, <laughs> so let's get into. The imagine, if you will. Yeah. What's this monster? What's how's it? How's it going to relate to a story? Imagine, if you will. It's the mid nineteen hundred and nineties, and you are a humble groundskeeper at a hillside cemetery in a midwest part of the United States? Question mark. Something like Probably. that. Probably. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Fields and your. It's a confusing part of the Midwest with um, views of an ocean and mountains. Yeah. But also, don't overthink about it. Yeah. Uh, and you're taking a break, leaning up against a tree on this rainy afternoon, having worked all damn morning on a few new plots. You wipe your sweaty brow with your baseball cap and gaze respectfully at the mourners gathered around the hole you completed yesterday afternoon as the sullen services conclude. A small, shifty, nondescript man in a trench coat meanders up to the rear of the service and tries to crane his neck over the various congregants and appears to interject with a couple of inappropriate remarks before a local newspaper reporter photographer snaps his picture and he's slapped away by one of the somber family members, talking to himself and trailing a flurry of business cards. What a kook, you think. You know him, he claims to have secret knowledge of the deadly curse this red-blooded American town uh, is currently suffering from that is killing healthy people with mysterious heart attacks and strokes. As the crowd dissipates, you return to your work, covering the coffin, cleaning up the scene, when that kooky little guy shows back up and he's arguing with... Well, with nothing. Is he arguing with the thin air? Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> what do you what do you think this is, Gavin? Am I being frightened? You are being frightened by <laughs> Jacob Busey. Um, so to finish up, he, he's uh, definitely arguing with a tree. No, he's drunk. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, both. Wait, yeah. is that Michael J. Fox? And is he arguing with a mid 20th century drill sergeant stereotype? <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, it is Michael J. Fox in 1996's Peter Jackson spooktacular The Frighteners. It's one of the best movies I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, well, I guess we know how Gavin feels. Yeah. Um, this will be, this will give us a nice um, in show frisian because. I either feel mixed about this movie or I fucking hate this movie. I can't tell. <laughs> really? Moment to moment, I feel differently about it. I, I, I had a... I don't think I saw it after I saw it in the theater in 1996 at the yeah. Tigert Valley Cinema in Fairmont, West Virginia. Um, I think I went to it alone, and I remember it being a... 
um, visual effects cornucopia thrill ride that yeah. definitely ha- was riding the bleeding edge of new digital effects work. That was, I remember that very vividly. Yeah. Did, do you remember watching it for the first time or having a reaction to it initially? Yeah, I watched it for the first time um, with Stuart at his house on like HBO <laughs> okay. or something. And um, he, I, I guess he didn't like it because it wasn't like broody enough. Or, or yeah, something like it was about ghosts and it didn't have like a bunch of awful shit in it. So he didn't like it. Yeah, it's 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 mostly <laughs> lighthearted, except for when it's sadistic and awful. Yeah, yeah, it gets um, it really turns like like from it's very from a it's lighthearted very schizophrenic. into one of some of the most terrible shit that that you can imagine. <laughs> yeah, it's like a bizarre a, mix of um in an instant goofy too. stereotype gags and yeah. and just like awful sadistic murder and yeah. um misery. <laughs> <laughs> I was involved in ritualistic cannibalism. It, it's a, there's a lot in this fucking movie and Yeah. I'll I'll tell you, the listeners are probably getting tired of hearing me say, oh, this fucking movie's driving me crazy. But here's here's the thing. I've been I was I was trying to find one that would be like, okay, I need a wonner, I need something with no sequels, yeah. nothing with no, you know, after the critters, I was like, okay, I can't do something or I'm gonna have to watch four fucking movies. Just give me just give me yeah. one contained thing. I'll watch it two hours. Do some research, bang, it'll be easy. And then I watched the Frighteners all the way through one time, and I was like, "Well, now I feel less confident to talk about the Frighteners than before I had watched it because yeah. it has so much shit going on of yeah. all, all of the, of all of the things that I think are its detractors. I think that's one of the main ones, and it's really uh, like, where do you even start? There's so many ghosts. So many Jake Buseys just running around, just yeah. t- just just biting things with their giant teeth. Yeah, it, the Frighteners is takes up a very strange space in American cinematic history, where it is in this brief period where famed director Peter Jackson is after his uh, gross low budget era. Um, the like the great film Bad Taste, and then before his before his um, you know sword and sor- sorcery epic Lord of the Rings era, he makes two movies. He makes Heavenly Creatures, which is a kind of surrealist take on a real yeah. life murder. <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> which which got him all sorts of positive attention, and did use his Weta Digital um, company that he built for it, that eventually became the company that turned into Weta Workshop. Um, which I understand Weta Digital is still a separate arm of it, but yada yada yada. And then they really get to flex their assholes while making this movie, which is. Um, basically it's, it's on the edge of unprecedented in the amount of film digital effects that come out of a movie at this time. It's really chock-a-block of, um, Jake Busey's flying under the carpet and wallpaper of these, uh, Victorian, uh, homes in small town, New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, it's really, it's really something. 
It was, I, I remember, I liked it so much because it explained and built uh, rules for what ghosts can and can't do and what ghosts um, are made out of and what they can interact with and what causes certain abilities to be uh, functional for ghosts. And I loved it. Because yeah. all the time, all the time, I'm comparing everything to like a game, and, and right. for the Frighteners game would be easily comprehensible and like and and fun to play. So I, that's why I love this movie. <laughs> well, I have a few bones to pick about the idea that this ha- movie sets up a logical and consistent system <laughs> for understanding ghosts. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Peter Jackson. (laughs) I will say that there are a couple of things that really, uh, really sandpapered my ass watching this. And, and, and some of the main ones relate to that problem is, uh, is you really do have to come up with some rules, right? Like this movie is often compared to Beetlejuice because it's a supernatural movie with a with a great deal of wackiness, yeah, and 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 humor, yeah, uh, and it comes out uh, you know a few years later, and yeah. it's, it's it's got a lot of effects and interesting stuff going on. It seemed like an eternity between Beetlejuice and Frighteners, though, because we went through our entire. Puberty. Well, those are some dense adolescent years of, yeah, like, um, what is that? 90 to 96 is a real. 90 to 96. I also think that the world at large went slower during 90 and 96. Like, right (laughs) after Desert Storm, I think everything was like slower than what it was after 1998. Yeah, after (laughs) Jesus' Jones' career started to die out, the music scene just didn't make any (laughs) sense whatsoever. Like, wait, we're all we're listening to trance now. What's going on? Who are all these people? Yeah. What was that? It went from swing to techno and nobody knew what was happening. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) The natural evolution of swing to techno to um, prodigy to uh, blowing our brains out with a 357 Magnum under the master bed. (laughs) It's a confusing evolution in the mid 90s. But the, 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 (laughs) that's not going to, that's going to, some, I might have to edit a bunch of that out. I think, I don't know, (laughs) but let's get, let's just try to explain what the fuck is up with the Frighteners. Yeah. What is the monster? Well, I'm going to call the monster, all of the ghosts with a certain amount of emphasis on Jake Busey as the soul collector. Yeah. Jake Busey is referred to as both the soul collector as the, the super powered evil ghost entity who is a uh, postpartum uh, spectral manifestation of John Charles Johnny Bartlett, yeah. who is a um, has a Cheshire grin patented Busey, patented Busey, massive tooth smile, um, (laughs) who is constantly referencing his total number of murders. Yeah. And uh, seems to be just a pure psychopath with nothing but uh, loathing and disdain for humanity in his heart for no particular reason. And, you know, that's, uh, he's just, 
He's just pure evil. They, they, they don't give him some kind of like backstory where he got t- touched in gym class or something. Yeah. He's, he's just an just evil a guy. bad kid from the 50s. <laughs> yeah. Just, just when you could just embrace the idea of a bad seed, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, he, in the flashbacks, kills, I believe it's an original Thirteen or twenty. Uh, I, I'm gonna. I want to get the number right of individuals where at the hospital where he is an orderly. Yeah. Um. And to clear up one of my jokes from the opening, uh, the opening. Imagine if you will. This is all shot in like medium to small town New Zealand, yeah. but made to look like kind of. Uh, you know, Steven Spielberg, East Coast or Midwest America. Yeah. And you're like, wait a second, what part of the Midwest is this where I can see the ocean and the mountains? Yeah, it's like it's like Connecticut, Wisconsin or or like Connecticut, Kansas. And you're like, oh, wait, <laughs> such a place does not exist. It's fucking New Zealand. Yeah, That's why. New um, Zealand. <laughs> But the locations Great are kind of beauti- beautiful and dynamic, and, yeah. and because of the because of the mountain side, you get these really cool, like uh, long visuals looking over this cape, and it's got kind of a the Goonies wet middle class vibe to it. That's yeah. kind of fun. But watching it as an adult, I'm definitely I'm definitely like this is not a real place. This is uh, this is some magic bullshit you, where you know orcs what? are I- hiding under the mountain. I bet Oregon and Washington might kind of be like that during like the the hotter months. Yeah, no, I mean the cert, like climate wise and um, humidity wise, you could. I, I, my brain definitely could go to like the Puget Sound, maybe or yeah, yeah somewhere in the pack. Like, and uh, yeah, I know it's so it's so weird. It could also be like Skogie, Wisconsin, or or <laughs> or Illinois. Yeah. That's Illinois. <laughs> But um, the thing is, we're uh, the, although the monster is are the it's the various ghosts and Johnny the Soul Collector Bartlett. Yeah, um, he doesn't show up in the fucking movie for a long ass time. This yes. movie is over two hours long, and mostly the first hour of it is Michael J. Fox as um, Mike Bannister just being a fucking dickhead. Yeah. He's a he's a, an accidental psychic who basically functions as a con man, and we learn that he has a coterie of three zany and eclectic ghosts. Yeah, who he is uh, is kind of bunked up with in his his rotting out house that's quasi abandoned, and he runs this scam where he sends them out to some housewife's place in the middle of the day. And they slam the toilet seat cover and um, spin a bunch of paintings and bounce the bed up and down until she gets terrified and has to call him. And then he comes and charges a few hundred dollars and bam, he's got a career. So inevitably, after a little bit of this, the finger starts to point toward him when a series of bizarre deaths um, come to a breaking point in the relatively small town and he is seen at various scenes and acting in bizarre ways and arguing with ghosts and whatnot and um 
there is a, a mystery that unravels around Mike that he doesn't quite understand that involves him unraveling the layers of the onion to, of course, Hollywood screenwriter style get to the the pearl at the center, which is solving the mystery of his own wife's death yeah. that he had blamed on himself yeah. for, for an argument that they had in their yellow Studebaker, which caused them to careen off the road and killing her. Um, but it turns out it wasn't really his fault wrapping everything up in a delicious Hollywood bow at the end. This, this, uh, this, uh, a detail about this kind of confused me. And it said that, like, he was drinking when he wrecked the car, and that's why he blamed himself. And if he was, like, drinking and too drunk to remember that, like, a Grim Reaper ghost did it, then maybe he should blame himself. <laughs> no, I, it's this really, it's this bizarre Hollywood scene. It's this okay. bizarre Hollywood scene where they were just arguing and he was distracted. Okay. And then it's, like, wet. He flies off this, like, blind curve, smashes. Yeah. He crawls away, you know, like, car wreck injured as fuck, yeah. looking for his wife. His wife is in the fog of war for a period of time. Okay. And then he finds her dead with the um, kind of signature mark on her forehead. Yeah. Um, but you can only extrapolate all of these details when you include the flashback. And you find out ultimately later it wasn't his fault. She did not immediately die. She was a victim of Johnny the Soul Collector Bartlett for okay. for reasons. Ah, I um, remember this movie. This is I yeah. can barely keep track of it, and I just watched it. I watched it twice within the last week because this shit's so fucking confusing. <laughs> um, like mostly because I was trying to pin down the rules for these goddamn plasma ghosts. Well, then and maybe I uh, hate it. I'm remembering it wrong that the rules were defined and clear then. Maybe. Well, some of them are. De- OK, but let me put it this way. OK, um, there's this one character, Frank. He is suspicious of Mike, who, Mike Bannister, when he comes over to his house and, quote unquote, saves them from the ghosts. You guys left behind, right? And I, you know, if I wanted to get shot at every day, I'd move my black ass to Los Angeles. Then literally haunts Michael J. Fox and asks him, what the fuck is up? Why am I dead? I'm 29 years old, blah, 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 blah. And Michael J. Fox lays out some of this metaphysical bullshit. And he explains that Frank is now an earthbound emanation. Want to tell me what happened? I I was on the rowing machine. And then suddenly I I felt this this, this vice-like rip just squeezing my heart. And I couldn't breathe, Frank. I just, I couldn't breathe. Oh, I've got the shakes now. I need some vitamin B. Yeah, you can't take vitamins anymore. You don't eat, you don't drink, you don't go to the bathroom. All that shit's not worth it. In about a year's time, you're gonna get a chance to go through to the other side again to become what's known as a pure spirit. But in the meantime, what's known as an earthbound emanation, which is a rotting cloud of bioplasmic particles dripping ectoplasm from every orifice. <laughs> As an earthbound emanation, he is, quote, a rotting cloud of bioplasmic particles dripping ectoplasm, unquote. (laughs) So these ghost characters live in this bizarre, um, like, double negative reality where they're both incorporeal and 
oddly corporeal. They're yeah. they're rotting, they're yeah. dripping, and they can interact with some physical parts of the reality yeah. and not yeah. others. They can walk on the ground, but if they try to lean on a wall, they fall through it. Yeah. Uh, they they can they can um, walk normally through the town and have a conversation. But when Frank falls into his own grave and is summarily tormented by the vision of his own dead corpse in his face, he cannot climb out of the fucking hole. Well, that's needs just Bannister's help. That's just um, psycho metaphysics. That's that's because it's his own grave. Well, it makes sense to me. Leader, <laughs> Gavin is here to decrypt these these super mm, uh, metaphysical rules of the afterlife from the frighteners. Yeah, yeah. And well, I'm if, here for it. If for like psychometaphysics to work, it had like it had to have had meaning to the perceiver, and if the perceiver understands that it's his own grave, that it will become uh, something of an oubliette. Um, <laughs> if, if he tries to venture uh-huh. into understanding, um, what the, the, the thing that he's fettered to, like the corpse that he's tethered to, um, mm-hmm. is so powerful that, um, it'll negate the interaction between actual earth and the ectoplasm and become a pit. Master at arms, take that man below and clap him in irons. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, 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 ref- <laughs> I refuse, in, in, the, in the words of Generation X and Palehead, I refuse that, to... That actor, um, ex- I, I saw that actor also is the guy who played young Elvis Presley in Forrest Gump. Oh, uh, yeah, I think he's played Elvis like, a, <laughs> like he's been Elvis a bit. He's, yeah. he's got a good young Elvis thing. Yeah, he's his pictures are a lot of like rockabilly greaser guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he probably did pretty good in the mid '90s. In addition to this movie, yeah. But I, I, I cannot. I just every it takes me every scene in this movie. The gags take me out of the suspension of disbelief. My suspension. My disbelief is unsuspended in every fucking scene going like, wait a second, what are the fucking rules here? And I like every every single scene infuriates me. But I mean, it's not just that these spectral characters are able to pull out spectral guns and fire an infinite amount of spectral an infinite amount of spectral bullets at other ghosts, which cause physical spectral plasmal damage yeah that makes sense like dad <laughs> no it doesn't well the, it the doesn't. drill sergeant the drill sergeant and the uh judge had been dead for a really long time they know how to pull up all of their um p- pathetic like like uh, fetters. I guess they would just be fetters, like drawing the the memories of the guns that they had. Um, okay, I mean, the, the, they're they're able to channel. They're both able to channel their pathos into a mechanical volley of plasmic, uh, you know, post ethereal energy. Yeah, fine. Yeah, whatever. 
But also, at the climax of the movie, the Michael J. Fox Frank ghost is able to pull out Arlie Ermy's M60s and, like, double Rambo fire them at the Soul Collector in order to, like, win the day. Then I would imagine that Arlie Ermy has, like, a 10th or 11th uh, level permanence uh, attribute that he could put on his fetters. That that allow the the things to last for a while, so he doesn't have to keep concentrating on. This them. is not a White Wolf role playing <laughs> game. It's a Robert Zemeckis movie. <laughs> well, I'm just you're just mad because I'm explaining it. I just okay. Here's the thing: just because somebody can explain something doesn't mean it makes any fucking sense. Schizophrenics can can explain anything you want to ask them about their reality. Just because something has an explanation does not make it make any fucking sense. My body is a roadmap of pain. And there's a difference between an expl- there's a difference between an explanation and a compelling story. And I am cleaving my decorative katana down between those two those two those two uh, nouns and saying that this is a it is a real fucking waking dream of a reality that Peter Jackson has woven. In the Frighteners, and it 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 dispels its own illusion for me. It doesn't work on me. Like I I like it. I kind of enjoy it. Like Pirates of Caribbean, the ride, not the movie. Like oh look at that. Hey look at that guy. Oh he's look at that beard over there. That's a pretty <laughs> cool sword. Oh no, is that actual Johnny Depp? Get me out of here. Get get me. Oh my god. Like uh, it, it it's enjoyable, but I I am not carried away from it because it is constantly reminding me of its uh, artifice, and and I am I'm very good at sliding into the warm pool of suspension of disbelief. Man, I hate that trunk. Yeah, well, I don't want you guys spreading your ectoplasmic muck all over my car seat. Oh, ain't that a bitch? The ectoplasm is the only thing sticky enough to hold a damn car together. And I am constantly being re- removed from the reality of this movie by its own machinations. So I don't know. I can't. I can't deal with it. Maybe it's smarter than I am, and I'm just not. I can't hang with with Jake Busey, and that is just a cross I'm going to have to bear. Apparently. Well, I love the movie, and I should mention that Jim Fife is not Hugh Laurie, like I thought. Huh. <laughs> yeah, Jim Fife is a lone gunman. Yeah, he's um, a lone gunman. Kook. Uh, from the X Files universe, and yeah. that's mostly it. Uh, that is it. That's all one of his the, pictures he, on IMDb. He plays one of the three, the three the sidekick roommates, guys. ghosts. Yeah. yeah, there's, there's the black dude who's, um, like you know, that's what they called him in the in the like script writing meetings. Is yeah. they got the the '70s black dude that's played by who's that play? Who's it played by? He's fucking hilarious. He's fantastic. But we ain't riding in the damn trunk no more. You understand? Chai McBride. Chai McBride. Cyrus is played by Chai McBride, who is absolutely fucking hysterical. Even though he's given this 
um, kind yeah. of desperate stereotype of a character to play. Who you will recognize from Pushing Daisies yeah, and iRobot and Gone in 60 Seconds and a million things. He's hilarious. Um, and then Fife is kind of this Victorian bespectacled nerd. I don't know why that's one of the, the three ghost triumvirate. And then the real <clears throat> cherry on top is the judge played by John Aston. Yeah. Uh, who is motherfucking Gomez Adams is who he is. Yeah. And um, in addition to having all of these special gags of firing his six shooters, he's kind of a Victorian era gunslinging cowboy who says all of these uh, hilariously misogynist things and yeah. has sex with a thousands year old um, lady pharaoh corpse in one yeah. Um, one scene that uh, ages interestingly. Yeah, uh, he. It's a. It's a very. It's a literally dripping performance that is all like one-liners and visual gags of his prosthetic makeup falling apart. Yeah, and um, he got so much attention that he got his own makeup dude who was none other than the uh, the Rick Baker of being yep. Rick Baker. Top five um, film effects, special effects, horror effects guy of all time, an American werewolf in fucking London and yeah. Star Wars um, yeah. and Videodrome and Starman and Captain Goddamn EO, speaking of uh, Disney rides, yeah. <laughs> um, Rick Baker is one of those uh, just great American Hollywood uh, creature makers. And uh, John Aston as the judge is... Fucking 11 out of 10, and he's really hiding under all of those prosthetic makeup effects, but it's enough that he can still work the character in a comedic way, but I don't know. I don't think the character ages that well. He's kind of like a kooky old man that you don't want to be in the room with you. Um, yeah. Not the actor, but, you know, yeah. the, the character is, is yeah. a little over the top. It is, yeah. Basically, they, all, of, all of the ghouls in this movie, well, actually, you know what? It's not even the fucking, just the ghosts. Because Jeffrey Combs, as the sadistic FBI yeah, agent, FBI guy, is, the, al is yeah, also, he's also like, <laughs> yeah, he's also punching through the fucking ceiling with his performance. Yeah. Yeah. My body is a road map of pain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know nothing about Frank Bannister. You claim he's a bona fide psychic, yet all I've heard is a lot of ill-informed meandering... 28 cases. My body is a road map of pain. Like, do you, what do you, what do you recollect about Jeffrey Coom, Com, I want to call him Coombs, but I know it's Combs. Well, about, um, fan of the, a friend of the show, Jeffrey Combs' character and performance in this movie. What do you, do you remember anything about that? Yeah, I remember that he was like, he was like an FBI mage. <laughs> yeah, it's this really, really bizarre um, concept of a. Have you? I know we've discussed that Tom Hardy movie, A Lawless, right? Yeah, and you know the villain character who's like the the fancy. Is he an FBI agent from from Chicago that's played by um, Guy Pierce? Jeez, of Memento, and in Lawless, he plays this. I would call it um, 
not even OCD to give him a, um, a diagnosis, but kind of a, a vicious and perhaps um, psychopathic Chicago big city uh, enforcer law enforcement maniac. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to, I want to name the character because it's a real, um, it's, it's, it's done in a very intelligently Guy Piercy way in terms of the choices that they make with the, oh yeah, Charlie Rakes is the character yeah. in Lawless. Jeffrey Combs in Frighteners is playing a lot of the same notes except with the lid totally off the fucking pot. Yeah. Where he decided he wanted to give himself this really intense Hitler haircut. That was a Jeffrey Combs decision. Yeah. And <laughs> he's got like a swastika tattoo on the palm of one of his hands. And it turns out he's obsessed with Michael J. Fox's character, Mike Bannister, and that he is... Uh, secretly a serial killer, yeah. the, the Bannister character, and that his body, when he un- when he reveals his torso and unshields it from the, the lead bre- breastplate that he uses to prevent um, mental psychopaths from crushing his heart with their minds, yeah. is riddled with these bizarre manifestations of self-harm where his nipples are removed and he's tattooed with these like grotesque grimoire messages. Yeah. It's a real, it's a real, (laughs) real fucking nightmare of a thing. It's a, it's a real series of Jeffrey Combs style decisions is the way I put it. He's like, I, I need, just let me off the leash and give me a nutso character and I will steal the show. And he does. But he really contributes to the, like, you could take any, the phenomenon where you could take any, like, one third of this movie and it should just be its own fucking movie. Like, if this was three movies, it would probably make more sense than being one two hour and change movie. Yeah, you could get, you could get an entire, like, 40... 40 minutes to an hour long like thing of that would just be an anthology of the FBI agents investigations and like how he became an occult mage. (laughs) Yeah. If you've heard of calling something that's too much and distracting a hat on top of a hat. Well, like this movie is definitely a villain, a villain on top of a villain, right? (laughs) We are like, wait a second. You've already got a Busey who is playing a ghost who turns into a, like metaphysical grim reaper character who can fly around through people's houses and kill the living by squeezing their hearts. And that is insufficient, like malevolence for your film. (laughs) So you got to add a metaphysical FBI lunatic who is hunting down people because he thinks they're serial killers, even though they aren't played by one of the most, maniacal actors in Hollywood history. Like that is the definition of a storytelling hat on top of a hat. If you're asking me (laughs) And individually, I actually like the ingredients, but it's kind of like you made um, like a chop suey fucking casserole. And it's also got whipped cream and cherries. And I'm like, what the fuck am I supposed to be tasting here? Is this supposed to be sweet? Is this supposed to be salty? Peter Jackson, Peter Jackson, I, in my opinion, also closed that up pretty comically. 
where you get the FBI agent facing down um, Gary Busey, and it looks like they're about ready to have, like, a supernatural fight-type thing, and then the FBI uh-huh. agent just gets his head blown off, and it's over. And <laughs> Yeah, there are, lots of mov- there are lots of moments in this movie where you're like, I bet there's going to be an emotional payoff here, and then one of the characters you've been following for half an hour just gets their face fucking removed yeah. by the Soul Collector character, <laughs> a.k.a. Jake Busey, and you're like, well, shit, that was done. Yeah. Weird. Like, th- th- yeah. this movie is a bizarre combination of precious about the mechanical possibilities about a Judeo-Christian afterlife where you can be shepherded past your lost meandering torment in the uh, uh, extra misery of being trapped to the terrestrial plane by your soul's torment by coincidence or effort or Michael J. Fox, but also... (laughs) A fucking real serial killer who has decided to who has decided to do this for fun and profit yeah. can conspire with his girlfriend D Wallace yeah. to just end your total existence forever yeah. by ripping your plasmodic head off. Yeah, like that is upsetting in a way that the movie <laughs> yeah. is like not addressing. It's like, whoop, you just don't be no more. Yeah. You didn't go to heaven. You didn't go to hell. You didn't go to purgatory or whatever the fuck. You just ain't Yeah, like, holy shit. That's actually way more upsetting than it should be because it's definitely, certainly terminally true. Yeah. <laughs> and and <laughs> that's one of the many ways that this movie is like, I'm like, my ass just never relaxes. My butt cheek is always tightening, going, wait, wait, what is the implications of the last scene are so upsetting, I yeah. can barely pay attention yeah. to Arlie Ermey scare, like, screaming at me in his <laughs> drill sergeant hat. Like, there's, there's too much going on. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it was pretty, pretty loaded. I, 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 I yeah. encourage you to watch it again. And I'm not going to try to talk I you will. into hating the movie. That's not my goal. No, there's no way I could hate this movie. I've, People I feel are allowed to like what they like, because <laughs> liking what you like does not cause you to invade Ukraine and kill a bunch of, like, random villagers. Liking things is fine. It doesn't hurt anybody. I I liked The Frighteners because it did have, it, well, it pretty much did have everything I like in it. Had a had a pair of dual wielding M60s, a cowboy, um, uh-huh. a, a, an FBI cultist mage, which I didn't know I liked before this, and it turns out <laughs> that's one of the things that has to be around. And um, yeah. Michael J. Fox solving mysteries. <laughs> yeah, FBI mage. I actually think is a really strong premise, just straight up on its own. Yeah, if you just isolated that. Yeah. And you're like, that's either the hero or the villain of a movie. Make a whole fucking 90-minute movie about that. I'm like, I will yeah. take it, whatever form of it is. Make it fucking David Duchovny. I don't give a shit. Whoever the fuck. Yeah. Um, but like like FBI, like, you know, occult FBI mage is to, is like, bam, right there. Got it. Whatever, whatever you're attaching to that, I want to see it. Yeah. But yeah, I I just cannot get my bearings with this movie from the the location that I can't pin down to Michael J. Fox being a dick basically in every single scene. I think his character sucks 
frankly. Really? And yeah, also, huh. and the co-star, the female lead, Trini is. <laughs> yeah, but here's the thing: she is not Andy McDowell. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, she is specifically not Andy McDowell. Yeah, and like so much so that my partner watching the movie was like. Uh, and it's got Andy McDowell. I'm like, no, no it does not. No, it's got some Trini lady <laughs> who, who is a broke ass. Don't look at this too, like seriously Alvarado. generic 99 cents, 99 cent store version of Andy McDowell. And I don't know, maybe she's great in other things, but she um, is, she's clearly just standing in for not being able to cast Andy McDowell. That's uh, <laughs> fine. I really like Andy McDowell, even though she's, um, incredulously the same kind of person all the she time. She is, yeah. She's she's playing the star of a shampoo commercial um, in oh, incredulously yeah. bizarre situations in no matter what movie she's in. Yeah, but that's true. like, <laughs> I love I love Hudson Hawk so much that I can't dislike her in combination with that and um, Groundhog's Day. Yeah, wish just, Hudson Hawk had a monster in it so we could talk about Hudson Hawk. There is no supernatural <laughs> element in Hudson Hawk. It is just madcap. There yeah. are no, there are oddly no um, <laughs> magical elements in it. Even when they're in the Vatican and you think that they're talking to like the ghost pope or something. Nope, it's just, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's just um, CIA malarkey. The man knows, the man knows. All right, well, let's slide our uh, dummy thick asses into the apothecary and then come back with our thoughts about this fucking Peter Jackson movie. But considering your status, I will say, slurp my butt. Hi there. My name is Douglas Raffensperger, and I'm a CEO and founder of Douglas's Cutlasses. Have you ever found yourself in this situation? You've just gotten home from a long day of spurring growth at your small but thriving business. You're just trying to slice some quality deli meats and cheeses for a relaxing snack, and suddenly there's a mysterious intruder rummaging through your garbage outside. What's a domestic disruptor to do when you get in a pickle like this? Pull out your handy-dandy, short-handled, half-guarded navel sword, that's what. Here at Douglas's Colors, we've got every possible colors for every conceivable scenario. Are you an aspiring or current CEO of a Fortune 500 company? I've got a colors for that. A middle school teacher struggling to maintain discipline in the classroom? I've got a colors for that. Looking to add a little flair to drab dinner parties? I've got a colors for that. Some people say to me, but Douglas, I'm not a pirate, privateer, or sailor. What do I need with a battle-quality 27-inch half-guard naval sword? I'm so glad you asked. Here at Douglas's Cutlasses, our research shows that the vast majority of conflicts, both business and personal, can be positively affected by the introduction of a modest, well-crafted naval sword. So let's get swashbuckling. No matter what's your problem, an easy-to-wield iron forged cutlass is probably the solution. So once again, I'm Douglas Raffensperger of Douglas's Cutlasses. Come get stabby with me. Please go to paypal.me slash oopsallmonsters and make a payment there. And that's oops with two O's. Again, that link is paypal.me slash oopsallmonsters. Melanie Linsky. What? Melanie Linsky is in Frighteners. As a deputy, she was 
She was also in Heavenly Creatures, and she also plays Rose on Two and a Half Men. Oh. I yeah. have, like, like nothing on that. Melanie Linsky. Let me look at her. It might. Oh! I know her from... Oh, she's really good in Castle Rock. Yeah. The Stephen King and thought, like, the like, Uber Uber movie show. Yeah. <laughs> the, she's really good in that. She plays this um, delightfully troubled character. Yeah, she's... She, She's in a movie huh. called I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, and it's one of the most entertaining things I've ever seen. Uh, is that the one where What's-His-Butt plays, like, the local, like, nunchuck bully yes. who, like, helps yes. helps her, like, yeah. get back her phone from yeah. those creeps? Yeah. Yeah, that's really... I, she's really good in that. Yeah. Uh, she's, she's good. Um, yes. I like her... Uh, face. Yeah. And her general head region. I like her acting. She's also one of these mysterious New Zealanders. Yes, she's a New Zealander. Yeah, she's also got a birthday similar to mine. Yeah. Wonder if she would like to eat one of my candies I keep in my pocketbook. (laughs) Married to Jason Ritter. (laughs) Uh, Is that John Ritter's... Nephew? Um, John Ritter something, who's, I'd imagine. Who's Jason Ritter? What? Oh, that guy! Yeah. Shit, I had no idea that that was Jason Ritter. Holy shit, he's great. What did I just, um... <laughs> what? <laughs> I thought he was just some fucking random dude who happened to be, like, John Ritter's son. I didn't realize it was this this guy. Yeah. Wait a second. I got a, a. I have to address that this is my second topic in a row, starring D. Wallace. Yeah, and she sucks in both movies. <laughs> I don't mean that D. Wallace sucks as an actress in both movies. What I mean is her character blows in both cases. Yeah, in in Critters, she was a. A rural country farm mom who couldn't just not get her shit together. Yeah. And really has no excuse. And then yeah. in this movie, she's a pi- psychopathic codependent killer bitch who makes her mother the scapegoat for like half the movie. And yeah. you're like, ah, oh, shit, D. Wallace, we should have seen this coming. Some of us definitely did. And you're the yeah. worst. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I also want to take D. Wallace in E.T. to task because how did you not notice that you had a fucking space alien in your house for like a week and a half? God damn it. Latchkey kids, am I right? Yeah. We got to solve the problems of the early 1980s today. (laughs) Pay attention (laughs) to what your kids are doing. And so that they cannot smuggle a goddamn extraterrestrial space alien around the suburbs for a week and a half without you noticing. Yeah. 80s and 90s kids got away with a lot. (laughs) Get it together, latchkey parents. I always got in trouble for shit that I didn't do. Yeah, like, you know, st- stealing space aliens and getting them back to their planet. Could you take me back to my trailer park? All I was doing was stealing airheads from the sipping gas. It's, I I didn't touch one alien today. Oh, I get no I get no fucking respect. All I wanted was a Pepsi. <laughs> I've been saying that a lot. 
Yeah. It's, you live a kind of you live a kind of all I wanted was a Pepsi lifestyle. I do. I do. That's it's all I wanted was a Pepsi sums up a lot of my life. A lot of my struggle. <laughs> it's like all I wanted was a Pepsi. Like that song. <laughs> I gotta I gotta give credit to um the the villains wiki, which is has been useful for me on this show a yeah. number of times. Villains.fandom.com slash wiki. And um, if you look, the Soul Collector slash Johnny Bartlett, a.k.a. Jake fucking Busey, up on the Villains Wiki, it includes that he has uh, a, a number of powers, including vast ghostly powers, which is like, okay, just name the things. Yeah. Shape-shifting, flight, invisibility to the living eye, which is like all of the ghosts have that, so maybe it's not particularly noteworthy. Soul Absorption, which I played bass for in the mid-1990s, coincidentally. (laughs) Um, Capability of destroying other ghosts. High Intelligence, which is eh, arguable. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And uh, and the ability to squeeze the the hearts and... uh, Squeeze the hearts and Hearts and brains, yeah. Um, Much like... Much like... Um, President Jimmy Carter in the yeah. 1970s. He's squeezing the peanut-sized hearts and minds of the American public. <laughs> yeah, the capability of destroying other ghosts, etc., is a pretty hefty one. And the implication here is thanks to D. Wallace's Ouija boards, which is literally how she like interacts with Jake Busey on some level, or did originally. Yeah. And his outsized malevolence as being a, a true uh, ghostly psychopath. He is uh, granted all of these extra natural powers, yeah. which I think is another layer of goddamn malarkey that, that makes no sense because like, then why, why isn't the, why isn't the metaverse filled with all of these other kinds of loathsome shitbags? Why is not Genghis Khan like marching through, you know, southern Russia, like reaping fucking havoc on all of the potato eating shitbags that are that are living there in, you know, suburban Minsk today or wherever the shit. There could have been a meta geographical oddity where certain nodes surged with uh, negative energy and gave specifically Johnny Bartlett's channeling powers um, an amplification that was godly. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna confess to say <laughs> that's a stretch. That though. I I have a real that yeah, that's that's, a, a that's real, also that type of thing would happen a lot too in other cases. You're you're yeah you're really you're really stretching over the meta, stretching open the metaphysical butthole and looking inside. Um, you're a really you're a real ghost proctologist. <laughs> I, Peter Jackson I, wanted I, to tell this one story. <laughs> I, I will say here's the thing. Well, he's got. He, he's got like seven stories in this. Oh, that's story. also not true. Yeah. <laughs> well, one Peter of the pieces Jackson of trivia. Tell this one series of stories. What, yeah. Well, that's the thing is this was originally envisioned as one of like a. Yeah. Uh, Tales, Tales from, from the, from the crypt. crypt. 
style anthology series, which I, in my opinion, is evident where you th- what you thought you ha- what you you thought you had three or four stories. Yeah, like what? Throw them all into the same fucking blender and <laughs> drink the son of a bitch. And I think that that is where you get this nightmare casserole of of psychopathy on top of mania on top of self-indulgence where you've got multiple shitbag like suburban douche characters who are interacting with like a whole panoply of evil villains like yeah. D Wallace or Jake Busey or Jeffrey Combs could have been the ultimate villain in their own stories And the hat on top of a hat problem comes from the fact that there's too fucking much to pay attention to. It's a real carousel of, I don't know whether I'm looking at the unicorn or the tortoise or the flying dog. It's all just a bewildering ride of, of, of like super information. And I just totally get lost. And I think had this been a three piece anthology, And you had carried like one character throughout, you know, like if the Mike Bannister character had been in three episodes that like opened and closed. And then it turned out that in the third one, then like the villain from the first one was like that the same villain. And whoa, we didn't see that coming up. Bookends like that would have had a, in my opinion, a greater storytelling um, like sense to it. And by the way, I should not fail to mention that this was written by Peter Jackson, but also by his um, partner, Fran Walsh, who's also a producer who yeah. is, um, who he is. I think he's still married to her, but she's been writing with him for forever. And obviously is a very talented person on her own. Um, but I, I, I just wish if this feels like a smoothie when it should have been three individual ingredients, it should have been potatoes, green beans, and a fucking steak. And they tried to blend them and they came out with something that is like, you don't know what you're tasting. But (laughs) in terms of, in terms of the, I'm really tight assed when it comes to ghosts. And, 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 and one of the reasons is, as soon as you start piecing out the rules that do or do not conform to like one religious organization about what happens after life, then you really start like opening a big, you know, bag of holding about, well, what the fuck are the implications of all of this shit? Like I'm really good with like poltergeist where the chairs are being stacked in Craig T. Nelson's living room. Yeah. And there is a place where people go and they can reach back in and grab you and rip you in half. Yeah. But the the implications are kept very, very narrow because what you learn about that other place and whether it's just a shadow realm that is parallel to your own or whether it's a Judeo-Christian metaphysical plane or whatever, you don't fucking know. You really don't know. And, you know, you slap an old man and like a Native American on it and you're like, okay, nobody will ever find out. I cahoot with no one. (laughs) And that, I can swallow that. But this level of, well, this happens and then this happens and this happens and there are only certain things that you can do in a church comes up in this movie. It's just, it's too fucking much because like how, 
why is Michael J. Fox in a trench coat driving a yellow Studebaker the person in charge of solving these problems? Why yeah. isn't there a I kick ass for the Lord, like holy water <laughs> in a like like strapped to a, a, a morning star, like just wrecking house against Jake Busey? Because it seems like you're you've got one combat boot into Judeo-Christian like metaphysical and spiritual implications, you might as well drag in the collar and the holy water and the big fucking like guns. And, and that, that like underlayer yeah. of this, th- th- there's a Jesus cheese that I'm, I'm like tasting, but I have to ignore. Yeah. Doesn't, it doesn't play for me. And I'm, uh, I'm like, if a movie wants to buy into, we've got a layer of Jesus cheese in this movie. I'm, you know, I'm not necessarily against it. Like, cause here's the thing. Fucking exorcist has Jesus cheese in its lasagna. Yeah. Exorcist kicks ass, right? Like exorcist is not a failure of a movie, but you can't half ass it. You either, you've either got a whole ass or no ass, your Jesus cheese, because it is a very tasty cheese of a specific flavor, and it's going to pull you toward a set of implications for what you're doing, where your mother sucks cocks in hell, yeah. and you either have to like buy into that or not. You can't step one foot casually into it and be like, there is a hell, a giant worm monster bites you and pulls you into it, if you don't go through the life corridor, as long as you're named Jake Busey or whatever the fuck, like it's too, it's too <laughs> many, too many steps. Well, I guess I was impressed with the rules because they they laid out several rules and they seemed to be solid and everything, but it also had a lot of entertainment in it, like tons of entertainment. Yeah, I when I was uh, whatever seeing this. Yeah, when I was whatever like fourteen seeing this, I was like, whoa, that was cool i think wow and then didn't think yeah. about it again until you know now and it did its job it uh, it did not make much money because unfortunately for for weird reasons the mpaa decided to like shove a uh, an r rating onto it even though it's a very ch- like yeah. chaste and you know there's not even a lot of there's not even like a lot of cursing in the movie but it is dark on kind of conceptual levels. So, Gavin, I think we've... Is there anything we're missing here regarding the the various ghostly entities of the Frighteners? Well, we should definitely do Bad Taste one day. Yeah, that's definitely a monster movie. Well, I just... I love the movie. I had a really high opinion of it whenever it came out, and that was a yeah. while ago. But yeah, the everything in it was fantastic to me. You had Michael J. Fox and you had his love story, which was also like a redemption story. And then you had um, Arlie a, Army with his N60s. Ride. And you had uh, the a cowboy, an entire cowboy. And then you had... Um, the FBI mage as an additional antagonist. Yeah. Every, everything, all of these extra things that were built up upon each other were forgotten about, mostly because when I when I did watch the movie, it was with Stuart, and he didn't like the movie, and I thought that that was strange because it was about ghosts and everything. 
But I, I just like the fact that I liked the movie and Stuart didn't. I don't know why he didn't. <laughs> yeah, that's probably tone more than anything else because there was, there was no one, um, there was no one lurking um, deliciously in the night's deepest shadows. Yeah. <laughs> it, so you know, you're not gonna tickle Stuart's toes without that. All right, let's end the motherfucking show. Is it, is it, bitchin' Van Art? Is it, is it, is it, is, is it bitchin' Van Art? Yeah, I think that, um, yeah. you got yes. yeah. Grim Reaper, I mean, Grim Reaper. The Grim Reaper, whether it's Jake Busey or not, is the fucking bullseye of the bitchin' Van Art dartboard. Yep. So... You give yourself a Grim Reaper, you get an automatic pass as Bitchin' Van Art. So that was easy. All right. Um, let alone that you can have him, the you know, the stereotype ghosts standing around like the cover of a, a DVD or whatever. Um, all right. Well, that was a fucking easy one. Okay. So yep. um, skipping off to dis- our describing segment, Gavin, what have you... Bro, what have you brought into the um, the Goblin verse for us today? The segment on the show where we describe all the fucking goblins. Well, I got a surprise for you today. It's it's this little guy. <laughs> um, and what do you see here? Is that the is that the whole Kogan? What is that? Let's see. Who is I'm? I'm looking at a little. I'm looking at a little dude. Yeah. I'm looking at a pre-teen boy flexing his muscles at us gregariously. He's a charming little white guy with no shirt and some rustic jeans just standing on a lawn somewhere. I have no idea what to do with this. Well, that is John Cena. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, great. <clears throat> what a little roustabout. Yeah, yeah, he's a funny. Yeah, he's he's already yeah, got. Yeah, you can tell like, where he got it. Where he, where big he character energy. <laughs> it's very. It's a, yeah. He's got a lot of um, juice. Like I, I actually don't know narratively fucking shit about John Cena. He, I'm a bandwagon enthusiast from from from. The peacemaker. Yep. Yeah. Honestly, like I love him. I love him now, but I, I never. The thi- I, I have a lot of resentment for the era of wrestling where people stopped having fucking gimmicks. So I don't like it when wrestlers are named Keith Davidson. I'm like, why didn't you get a fucking gimmick? But I, I I'm giving him a loophole because I, he's such a, a great. Yeah, like, come on. People put so much work into this shit. Like, why is, your, why is your name Stephen Miller? Like, get a fucking idea. Anyway, go ahead. Tell me about John Cena. Well, the thing about John Cena is this comes directly from an article that I read um, stating that uh, from John Cena, he said that he started weightlifting and bodybuilding because he used to get beat up all the time for being like scrawny and different. Like he was a funny kid and he was really skinny. So bullies beat the shit out of him all the time. Huh. So he started like lifting weights and bodybuilding. Yeah, I, there, there, I'll put it this way that it is not uncommon from the 
Because I used to, when I was a kid, I cared about wrestling in a, a kiddish kind of way. And that's not the first wrestling biography that seems to really revolve around a mental choice to go in a specific direction. Like, um, like Macho Man Randy Savage was a baseball player and, and a really good one, like could have been a professional baseball player and a, an injury caused him to not be able to do that anymore. Yeah. And he, you know, a lot of these people, they dive into like in that Jake, the snake documentary that I was referencing at the top of the show is, um, you know, razor Ramon, he talks about, um, falling into your body of like, of, of turning the workout is a kind of, can be a, uh, a self-reflection or a self, um, flagellation or even a self abuse, but yeah. it turns So the, the crafting your, your body and turning you, turning yourself into a product intentionally, you know, it has these like kind of body control and mental anguish implications that are sometimes very profound and, and sometimes good and sometimes bad. It's a, it's a very complex issue. Yeah. That stage show that they put on with all of the arrogance and like the winning attitude and the monstrous, um, you know, hulking winner is all a show. It's, it's absolutely fabricated and they, they have to make it a show like that. Yeah. Because like, um, doing that much, putting that much strain on your body is horrible. And it's weird that John Cena went from, uh, being beaten up because he was funny, then building up his body so he wouldn't get beaten up. And then um, being funny, probably to cope with all of the pain from building up his body. It, yeah, that's, that's a that cycle. Is, Everything um, is a cycle. But these guys cannot necessarily afford to be that arrogant as they are in the show because they're in so much physical pain. That is a major aspect of the documentary um, that everybody should watch. It used to be on Netflix. Um, you're going to have to find it somewhere else. It's no longer on Netflix. But it's it's the resurrection of Jake the Snake. Um, and it really, it dives into, uh, it dives into really him and it's a, it's a legitimate kind of like bottom of the barrel problem where he's, you know, he's drinking, you know, so much vodka a day. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a really troubled older alcoholic with, you know, living in not ideal circumstances and, uh, kind of really on the margins and it's, it's kind of like, it's becoming an ex athlete of any kind, but yeah. Um, wrestlers really have this speaking of like self flagellation and characters who are, you know, um, in implicated in their own harm and their own physical destruction. Like the WWF really, hmm, the WWF and the WWE really grinds you up and spits you out. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a sausage mill and you know, you cut, if you come out of it somewhat intact, it's a fucking miracle. And, yeah. uh, it's, uh, it, it takes a person who has a very, um, if not self-destructive, then self-sacrificing mentality about their body. And, you know, if you, you get, 
massive knee injuries, spinal injuries, you know, arm, wrist, ankle, every, like everything gets fucking destroyed. Your pelvis, uh, particularly if you're quote unquote lucky to have a career of longer than like two years. I mean, the more you do it, the more fucked up you get. I mean, the fact that, that the, like the undertaker had a career that was that long is like a miracle piled on top of a miracle that his body just didn't totally give out as a person, person with those, like that, those proportions who was actually doing bouts for that long. Um, I, you know, we got to do a wrestling topic sometime, right? Because, you know, a lot of those characters are yeah, quote unquote monsters within the purview of the wrestling reality, right? Yes. Gold dust is a supernatural monster. I mean, Papa Shango, you know, or, um, you know, George, the, I mean, is George, the animal steel, a monster is, uh, you know, like there's supernatural elements. Is the undertaker a monster? I mean, he's a heavy and he's supernatural and he's a, and he's a villain. So yeah. Undertaker's a monster. Definitely. Definitely. I think, I mean, thus far in the triangulation of our criteria, that's a monster. So, I mean, I think, I think if we're going to talk about it, yeah, I, there's definitely a window there for wrestling characters. Yeah. I strongly recommend, I don't know where it is now, but, um, yeah, my friend Neely Co. Yeah. My friend Neely Co. was one of the directors of the resurrection of Jake the snake. And if you have interest in, um, American style professional wrestling, particularly related to the eighties and nineties, it is really incredible. I mean, it, it's really a, um, and, and it, the documentary seems to honestly fucking like save Jake, the snake and razor Ramon's life, like during the course of the documentary. And, and that's no exaggeration. I mean, you just watch it for yourself. I think the evidence is there. Yeah. And, um, she's a really amazing filmmaker and I'm really proud of her having succeeded at, at that and other things. So I'm, I'll see if I can get her on the show. I think that'd be a good, a good friend guest. All right. Well, that has been, yeah describing the fucking goblins on the show. The segment on the show where we describe all the fucking goblins. Uh, 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 uh. And that brings us to the end of our time with you, dear reader, until next time when we deliver you another batch of beasts, bullywugs, and bowls of flesh-eating dessert fluff. And if you want to toss a coin into the potion fund, hit us up with a one-shot contribution at paypal.me slash oopsallmonsters, or if you're feeling really froggy, sign up at patreon.com slash oopsallmonsters. Lastly, I have to thank my wonderful friend Katie for our incredible theme song. Her work as part of the duo The Darling Kathleen's can be found on YouTube at The Darling Kathleen's. And with that, I have been Hess. And I have been Gavin, who got the recording back. And we have been Sport Killing the Living for Fun. I lost the recording, but I got it back just now. Now let's close the show out. Ha <laughs> ha.